CJSW presents Body Slam Poetry, an eight-part podcast series about Calgary and Alberta's wrestling legacy in the current independent scene. To pick up on a thread from last episode, episode 5, Why Get Into Wrestling, I shared the story of Otto Gentile and Ed Anderson, founders of longtime Calgary-based promotion Can-Am Wrestling and wrestling school, the Alberta Wrestling Academy, which started in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. Otto and Ed pride themselves on working with people with disabilities or who are struggling with drug and alcohol problems, giving them a second chance through pro wrestling. One story they told really stuck with me, so here's Otto explaining it. We do work with a lot of kids that do have problems, but also comes a lot of problems because sometimes, you know, you get somebody that just you can't help. And, and that's the frustrating part. We want to help everybody, but it just doesn't work out that way sometimes, and uh, we try to do the best we can. Um, it's too bad that we lost one kid that came to us. He was deaf in both ears. He uh, wore ear uh, hearing aids in both ears. And, you know, we, we, we came up with a character for him called The Virus during the pandemic. And he got so good on the microphone that it was fun and entertaining to watch him. And people were getting invested in him, but uh, I don't know what happened to him. Uh, I think he left to become a rap star. He was big into rapping, so I wish him all the best. But, uh, you know, just to be able to teach somebody that has that kind of a disability to do what we do is pretty amazing. Here is Ed Anderson now explaining more about the virus gimmick. He played that uh, part really good yeah he called me at 11 o'clock two o'clock he says ed you I got any, an idea any ideas <laughs> and I, I always say snake i tell yeah. everybody don't think inside the box think outside the box right. and he couldn't think outside the box so i'm coming up with some ideas in my head he's a his character is a virus what can we get him to do outside the box and all of a sudden i said okay go to uh, peter lawhi hospital you know, do yeah. what you want to do there. Cut a promo there. Well, that was his best promo. That was his best. Oh yeah, <laughs> he uh, goes to Peter Law. He hospital walks right in. He's he's fully dressed in his gimmick. Yeah. Uh, at this time, he asks. Uh, he's grabbing the wheelchair to take it out. The security, a couple of security guards stopped him. Told him to put it back. Right. And he's upset. He wants to cut a promo. So he goes outside. He met a nurse. The nurse says, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll get a wheelchair. So the nurse brought him a wheelchair. Yeah. So he goes outside across the street at the Peter Lawhe Hospital, and he's cutting. Up, he's trying to cut a promo. Yeah, and it was really good. It was uh, Moderna, Pfizer, yeah. right? <laughs> he, he's playing that he had, part. It was like he had voices in voices his head. Voices in his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. he'd shut up, Moderna. Shut up, Pfizer. It was so awesome. Oh. So awesome. <laughs> and he, cut, he, he says, look. Look who, look at all the people are contaminated. They're all in there waiting for me, right? Episode 6, Living the Gimmick. What sets pro wrestling apart from other athletic endeavors is the use of gimmicks. Unlike team sports where you're just yourself and go under your real name, 
pro wrestling encourages you to come up with an entirely different persona and you live and die by the crowd reaction. If you're doing a good job as a babyface, you get cheered. If you're doing a good job as a heel, you're being booed. Calgary wrestler Ava Lawless discussed this with me. Some of my favorite aspects is I love the crowd interaction. I think that's probably what helped me get over here in Calgary was um, I was a heel, so I was a bad guy. <laughs> and I just was so mouthy that people, I think, started to find me funny or something like that. And they started to get behind me. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I had one big match and then the crowd just flipped and they were with me. So I think uh, one of the main aspects I love is that connection with the crowd and like Sometimes when I'm at the merch table, I'll get like these little girls, like age seven or up to 12, and they're all like, you're my inspiration. And I'm like, wow, I never anticipated that. But that's definitely one of the most rewarding parts. What Ava described is a funny thing about pro wrestling. If you're a new wrestler on the scene and are a classic good guy, a classic babyface, the crowd might be like, oh, look at this cornball. This guy is lame. And they often get booed. It's almost like they're telling you to cheer for this person. You, with your arms folded, are like, Why would I cheer for this dork? They've done nothing for me. It's why you can't force a babyface. Historically, some of the biggest babyfaces in wrestling history have come from this. An initial babyface push that flops, and they get booed. Then they lean into being a bad guy heel. And that is how they become popular which translates eventually into a successful babyface run down the road. A variation of this happened to Stone Cold Steve Austin, the biggest star in the most popular era of pro wrestling in the late 90s. Austin began his WWE run as a gimmick named The Ringmaster, which Vince McMahon came up with. The gimmick flopped, despite Austin being a generational wrestling talent. Austin won the 1996 King of the Ring tournament, a wrestling tournament where the winner won a crown and a scepter. And no, I'm not kidding. After Austin won, he cut a promo on Jake the Snake Roberts, who he beat and recently became a born-again Christian. This is what Austin said. Talk about your psalms. Talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. Come on, that's not necessary. You can hear the crowd cheer as the Austin 316 happens, pinpointing the exact moment when Stone Cold Steve Austin was born. The Austin 316 t-shirt transcended wrestling. Speaking as someone who grew up in the late 90s, they're ubiquitous. In the peak of the Attitude Era, WWE sold over 12 million Austin 316 t-shirts. And they continue to be sold as retro items today, culminating every year on March 16th, which has become 316 Day. Another example from history of a babyface run flopping, which forced the wrestler to turn heel, which then made them a superstar, comes from arguably the most well-known pro wrestler today. The person who, if you ask someone on the street to name a pro wrestler, they would very likely say former Calgary Stampeder Dwayne The Rock Johnson. When The Rock debuted in the WWE, he was Rocky Maivia. He was always smiling, how he was the son of former WWE wrestler Rocky Johnson and a member of the Samoan dynasty, which includes Rikishi, Yokozuna, and the brothers, the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika. And later on, Umaga, Rosie, Jimmy and Jey Uso, and current WWE champion Roman Reigns. 
commentators would bring up Rock's legacy and think they would give audiences a reason to cheer him, but they didn't. And famously would chant things like Rocky sucks and die Rocky die to him. The audience was being force-fed a push star they didn't care for and wanted to let Rock and the WWE know they didn't want it. From that point, Rock joined the Nation of Domination stable, became a heel, showed his natural charisma, started cutting engaging promos, and would drop the Rocky Maivia name and become the Rock we know today. One of the most well-known movie stars in the world. Back to Ava Lawless, I asked her about this, if she preferred being a baby face or a heel. And this is what she said. I personally think being a face is way more difficult. Um, forcing people to like you is not very easy, you know? Like, people don't like being spoon, like spoon-fed that. Um, and to be a heel, you just do, like, really crappy things to your opponent. You mouth off at the crowd, you know? Um, you lay a beat down. And yeah. to be a baby face, you have to give them something to cheer for. You have to give them something to, like, root behind. Um, so that's definitely one of the more difficult aspects. I talked with Raj Singh who is currently with Impact Wrestling, but his own experiences. For those that don't know, I'm a bad guy on TV, yeah. and I'm especially hated in America. Um, and I'm not going to say it's due to ignorance, but they are coached to not like me because of my ethnicity. Um, and, I, and I'm Punjabi Sikh, so I wear a turban on TV. And they're coached to hate that even more. So when I come out there with my Indian music... Um, and it's modern Indian music, so I don't make right. it where it seems like, you know, like all, you know, religious and stuff. Sure. Uh, they boo immediately. But knowing that that's part of my job and that I'm supposed to have these fans hate me for that time that I'm out there, there's no better feeling <laughs> than being hated, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, being on that stage, knowing that there's literally millions of people watching it um, and that I'm doing my job that I'm asked to do. Like, and that I love to do. The story Raj Singh told brings to mind a story Calgary wrestling journalist Heath McCoy, author of the definitive book on Stampede Wrestling, Pain and Passion, told me about Raj's father, Gama Singh. Gama Singh. I, I remember there was so much racism around that character, but they there'd be this racist chant against him every yeah. every week, and he'd sit there and beat his head, and he'd bang the bang on the ring, and like like it was killing him, that it was taunting, that he was it was hurting him, that this was happening, you know, right. and the crowd would eat it up and get into it, and they, and this racist taunt, and uh, at one point, many times, especially when during the '88 Olympics, because the world, the eyes of the world, was on Cal right. was, was on Calgary more than ever. Right. And I guess Ed Whalen a few times actually said, like, "Do not." He told the audience, "Do not say that stuff. We look like idiots in front of the world. We look like racists in front of the world. This is, it's not right. Do not do this." You know, and I guess Gamma was angry with Ed Whalen. He said, mm. what are you doing? You're wrecking, you're ruining my heat. Yeah, like he wants right. people to be saying this to right. him, right? Gama Singh definitely had an old school way of thinking when it came to heat, thinking along the more exploitative side. And it's an aspect I'm glad we've moved past, frankly. You still see some nationalism angles in major wrestling companies. One recent example being when the American nightmare Cody Rhodes went rah-rah USA against England-based wrestler Anthony Agogo. But there are no racist or bigoted chants, thankfully. 
We'll talk more in episode 8, when we talk about queer representation of pro wrestling, of a similar dynamic and how the wrestling world has evolved from having stereotypical queer characters to major wrestling companies employing gay, trans, and non-binary wrestlers and making a part of who they are and the fans embracing them. The possibilities of pro wrestling are endless, and some of the most inventive gimmicks and angles are done in Japan's DDT promotion. Kevin Stebner, who we'll probably talk to in episode 8 as we discuss the punk and wrestling connection, is a big fan of DDT, and this is how he sells it to the layperson. DDT stands for Dramatic Dream Team, uh, and it's truly the most bonkers uh, promotion in existence. Uh, even just like a couple couple of the match types you you may have encountered on the uh, the internet. There's like a, some famous like campground ones where Sami Zayn like they suplex each other off of or no they does like a like a backflip dive off of a waterfall. Uh, there's matches where they go through entire apartment blocks. Uh, they there's a wrestler that's a blow up sex doll that they has wrestled multiple matches and has won multiple titles yeah so there's kind of some of those famous ones there's like you'll see koto bushi it's like a rite of passage for you wrestling in ddt to try to wrestle a good match with an inanimate object uh they do they have a title that uh has been won the heavy metal title uh yeah i don't forget the act the name of it i know what you're talking about but that title has been won by thousands of people including inanimate objects it's been won in a ladder match by a ladder itself. It's been won by that sex doll a number of times. It's been won by an invisible man. It's been won by the title itself. Uh, and like every wrestler under the sun, famous people, uh, sex workers, yeah. porn stars. Yeah. Uh, insane. Um, and I even say like with uh, DDT, it... There's, char- there's like gay characters and queer characters yeah. who've been in existence for a long time, much prior to it being uh, accepted. So like part oh of God, part yeah. of the gimmick, well, even part of like Kenny and uh, Coda's the gimmick, Lovers. the Golden Lovers, their gimmick was they were a uh, yaoi uh, couple, sort of. It was very um, ambiguous and unspoken, but effectively they were... Uh, there's a type of graphic novel in Japan that largely appeals to straight women, but it's kind of like and like androgynous-y kind of boys who have love stories together. And it, uh, so they were playing this type of gimmick. They were playing these type of characters of the will they, won't they, are they lovers, are they brothers kind of uh, characters. So like even having that exist in DDT is pretty wild. A lot to unpack there. You might be still hung up on, they did a backflip dive off a waterfall? And yes, they absolutely did. I think every wrestling fan or someone who wants to get into wrestling owes it to themselves to watch some DDT matches. As they're really pushing the boundaries of what can be done in the art form. And the pro wrestlers who come out of DDT often become big international superstars like the aforementioned Kenny Omega based out of Winnipeg and is a co-EP and former champion in AEW, or All Elite Wrestling. There's also the recent AEW signee, Konosuke Takeshita, who's only 27 years old and just recently moved to America after living in Japan his whole life. In talking about gimmicks, Takeshita is a great case study. As he doesn't really have a quote-unquote gimmick per se, 
He's also learning English, so he can't cut long promos in English explaining his motivation or who he is to North American audiences. That said, he has become one of the most over wrestlers in AEW and pro wrestling as a whole solely due to his matches. He is an expertly skilled wrestler, often wrestling from behind as the underdog, and one of the hallmarks of early Takeshita matches in AEW was seeing him wrestle in front of crowds who had no idea who he was, often in the southern United States. And by the end of the match, the entire audience is chanting for Takeshita and rooting for him to win. And these matches are up against guys like John Moxley and Brian Danielson, 20-plus year vets who are some of the biggest wrestlers in the world. Catch him one for the jumping Here knee. comes. But the bull psycho knee lands from Danielson. Ran right through. One, two, no, to catch him with a kick out. Impressive. Impressive by to catch the kick out. But that's motivating Danielson. Despite Takesha speaking for maybe like five minutes total during his first year in AEW, he is inarguably one of the most popular and beloved wrestlers today, solely due to what an amazing in-ring talent he is, which is just so awesome and one of the things I love about modern wrestling. Who are some of the most memorable gimmicks Otto Gentili from Can-Am has seen during his time? This is what he said. Uh, I fought... Uh... A guy that had a gimmick, uh, you remember Leatherface sure. from the Ch Texas Chainsaw Massacre? He had a gimmick like that. And he was really a big boy, the, had the, 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 the mask, and had a chainsaw, but not with the chain on it. He had a grinding wheel in it. <laughs> and when he came out, he would start it yeah. and shoot these sparks everywhere. And kids would just scatter. Like they, he, uh, he, <laughs> he was that uh, scary, right? <laughs> it extends to Otto himself when he had his own wrestling character. But yeah, there's, there's been some incredible characters come out of our. Even my character, they, they thought it was a uh, playing a, a rib on me, which is a joke in wrestling. Uh, they gave me a character, Vinny Fever. Uh, Vinny Fever is a disco character. And uh, I'm still known as Vinny Fever to this day. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, still is. You know, yeah. You gotta, you gotta take what they give you, embrace yeah. it, and make it your own. It's true. As sometimes even the silliest gimmicks on the surface live on, and it's due to the performer selling it. Jim Duggan became Hacksaw Jim Duggan as he brought out a two by four with him to the ring and chanted USA, USA. Do I have any idea why he carried a 2x4 with him, or what sense that made? I don't. But that was the character that connected with the audience, and what he did for the majority of his career. I asked Ava Lawless what inspired her character, and this is what she said. I came into it being really inspired by like 80s heavy metal, and maybe like a few horror movies here or there, but... Um, a lot of my teen years were listening to um, metal albums, and I think I just fell in love with that, and that's something I never let go. Yeah. And so Ava became this creation of mine that I think I want to apply to everyday life. You know, she's confident, maybe maybe overly so, you know. Um, she doesn't take any crap from anybody. Um, and, yeah, just really self-assured and has, like, this power to her. 
And so I think I was really inspired by like that metal scene and that's why I'm always in leathers and spikes. Um, the orange was just, I don't know, it just came along the way really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best gimmicks in pro wrestling are your own persona turned up to 11, an amplified version of yourself. Some of the best gimmicks also come from a character you can really sink your teeth into, like an acting role where you fully commit. There are different ways to become a pro wrestler and have a successful gimmick. But as long as you've captivated the audience, that's what counts. I have yet another late-breaking addendum for you, the listener. Body Slam Poetry guest Ava Lawless, who you have heard throughout the series giving thoughtful answers to various topics, made an appearance on the March 17th edition of AEW Rampage, airing on TNT in the U.S. and TSN Canada, emanating from Winnipeg, Manitoba. And her opponent, Ava Lawless. She was brought in to face Victoria, British Columbia's own Taya Valkyrie, a recent signee to AEW. It was a special moment for Ava, as it wasn't just her first time on AEW television, but that she was up against Taya Valkyrie, a 13-year vet who began her training at Calgary Storm Wrestling Academy with Lance Storm, who faced Ava just under a year ago on May 20th, 2022 at RCW's 19th anniversary show at the Legion No. 1 in Calgary, which I happened to be in attendance for. Ava impressed everyone that night, despite losing the match. It was a classic example of getting over by losing. Ava's only been wrestling for a few years at this point, up against a 13-year vet. So the fact that Ava took Taya to the limit and got close to defeating Taya, with the entire Calgary Legion audience rallying behind Ava, that's as good as a win, I think. And clearly, Taya Valkyrie remembered that match. Taya could have chosen anybody to be in her first match on AEW television, and she chose Ava, which is a great sign for Ava's future, and I doubt this is the last time we'll see Calgary's own Ava Lawless in AEW. Remember this moment, as when Ava becomes a full-time member of a roster like AEW, you can remark to yourself, oh yeah, I remember when I heard Ava's story on CJSW's Body Slam Poetry. This is Jed, your rustling term tour guide, back to explain some terms you might be scratching your head about as you listen to the series. Before I explain what the term mark means, let me explain its carnival game origin story. Mark, or a sucker, came from carnival operators who found someone they could convince to keep playing their rigged games, and from there, they would then quote-unquote mark the person by putting chalk on their back. Now in wrestling, a mark means a wrestling fan who believes or behaves as though they believe professional wrestling is not staged or loses sight of the staged nature of wrestling in order to support their favorite wrestlers. This term can be used negatively to refer to people who have little to no knowledge about the ins and outs of wrestling or can be used to refer to all wrestling fans. This can also be used to refer to a wrestler who thinks that worked aspects of the industry are worth more than the money they earn. For example, prioritizing holding a title belt over being paid 
this rustler will be described as a mark for him, her, themselves. Now, if I were to tell you that a rustler was getting over, you would probably wonder what I mean. In rustling, over means when the audience buys into a performance or gimmick and the desired crowd reaction is achieved. Getting over is building a rapport with the audience. And then we have put over. It is the act of one wrestler helping boost the status of another. This is often done by intentionally losing a match or selling their opponent as a credible threat. What about a jobber? Does that mean just doing your job? Well, in a sense, jobber means an enhancement talent. A wrestler who is there to make the opposing wrestler look better. Job meaning to lose in a wrestling match. And push means the planned rising of a wrestler's status in the eyes of the fans. What about agent? Are we talking about a sports agent like Jerry Maguire? In wrestling, it's a bit different. An agent is a producer or coach. This person is often a former wrestler, though it can be a current wrestler, who helps set up a wrestler's matches and storylines, and gives feedback. They often act as a liaison between wrestlers and higher-level management. In wrestling, Audible doesn't mean a company that sells you audiobooks or promotes themselves incessantly on podcasts. Rather, Audible means a message delivered from backstage that instructs wrestlers on what to do. Usually to work around a botch and changing the match on the fly. This message will usually be given to the referee or commentary team. That's all for this edition. This has been Jed from Body Slam Poetry. And thank you for listening. Me and the Body Slam Poetry team conducted interviews after a recent RCW, or Real Canadian Wrestling, event. Here's our interview with independent wrestler KB6. So how did, when did you get into wrestling? It was about four years ago. I was trained underneath Massive Damage and Philophon. Okay, so like as a fan too, in terms of like getting into it. Okay, probably uh, eight, eight, ten, real young. As soon as I seen wrestling on TV for the first time, I was blown and I was like, I'm going to do that. Yeah, so like what sort of spoke to you about it or what kind of inspired you about it? I love the, the moves that they would give each other, the stories being told, the characters. Just it was like, it's, it's MMA, but an anime version. So it's very extreme. And they do some of the craziest things from weapons, chairs, uh, ladders, like all types of different matches, steel cage, hell in a cell. The whole aspect of it, I just absolutely love. So how long you been wrestling independently, you said? Uh, four years now. I'm actually based in Edmonton currently, but I have traveled around. I've wrestled in Manitoba, wrestled in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and I've even gone down and lived in Mexico for three, four months wrestling out there. Being trained underneath Skyday, Mimo, and Herodes Jr. Learning some of the best skills, and it was just living the dream out there. Wake up every day, work out, train, go to shows. It was amazing. What have been some of your favorite moments as a wrestler that you've had? Some of the best ones 
aside from like matches, was probably my debut in Mexico because it was a giant charity event. It was over a thousand people and I was in the main event and I ended up getting the pinfall for the team and we won. And so having the whole crowd cheer my name there, nothing ever experienced like that before. Even just having all the vibrations and feeling the energy of the crowd. I loved it. Yeah, and so like for something you're like not maybe non-wrestling like friends and stuff, how do you explain it to them or how do you sell it? Well, a lot of the times, you know, people have like somewhat of an understanding with wrestling. So I'm just like, yeah, you know, I do this, and then they'll be like, oh, well, is it like MMA? I'm like, oh no, you know, it's a little bit different. You know, it's a bit more of a show. But you know, you see us slamming each other. You see the hits that we take. And I'm like, and also my friends, I was like, hey guys, you might see me get my ass kicked, and that's always a nice appeal for them. <laughs> uh, and uh, any kind of inspirate like stuff like want to do with your career or any sort of like that. My top three uh, goals is to wrestle in WWE, AEW, and New Japan uh, professional wrestling. Oh, that's. The big three. Yeah, exactly. The big three. Exactly. That's yeah. We like because I was saying like this is Jed's first show, and like you know Sophie's second and just it's always been fun and just yeah it's always love the Legion of wrestling. I love the intimate environment of the Legion yeah. and stuff. Do you like that too? Like working independent, like you know the intimate environment and stuff. Yeah, I love a lot of like. Calgary is one of my favorites to come and wrestle because it's a very big wrestling city. I do like this Legion as it's a nice, it's it's not too big, it's not too small. It felt, it feels like everyone's right there with you as you're fighting. Like the crowd feels like I just put my arm out and I can touch a fan. Um, and I love moments like this and like wrestling in small towns because they really love it and appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Body Slam Poetry. This episode was written and produced by Ben Goodman. Assistant producer Sophie Chardon. Edited by Jed Mabaza. And music by Grayscreen. Stay tuned for episode 7, The Punk and Wrestling Connection. Additional sources, WWE, All Elite Wrestling. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada.